News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Macias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com. We're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Welcome to the Luke Messias Show. This is your host, Luke Messias, with our co-host, Raz Schaefer. How are you doing, Raz? I'm doing great. It's good, good to see you. Raz uh, found himself in Austin, so we are, again, recording this in person. This uh, will not be a weekly thing, but it's nice to, nice to see your pretty face here uh, more often than not. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, so let's talk about this episode. I am really excited about the conversation with Aaron Harris. I know you've heard it. Um, you know, somebody who I think knows more about election fraud. Uh, people today will learn the difference between voter fraud and election fraud, which I think is an important distinction, but really understands this issue, has lived it, has breathed it, has helped open up our eyes to so much of the problems and so many of the problems that are going on in Texas. Mraz, what did you think from the conversation that you heard? Well, one of the really cool things about it is, is, first of all, there is nobody that knows election fraud like Aaron Harris does. Uh, his his access to the issue and the work he's done on it is simply unprecedented. And one of the cool things you guys get into on the podcast is that we actually got to kind of live the start of this with him because the election back in 2015 that started uncovering this yep. was one that you and I both worked with him on. And coming out of that, it, you know, nobody thought, I mean, Aaron, least of anybody, thought that he was going to become this expert on the issue. Yep. I think it's really a, a cool testimony to also, you know, people who are in the trenches in some way politically, that if you just are open to serving, who knows what doors are going to open up, right? You know, Aaron is now the chief of staff of Lance Gooden, the United States congressman who's been doing a great job here, uh, you know, in the first part of his tenure. But the reality is that you know, if you're out there, if you're working for a campaign, if you're working for a political nonprofit, if you're running a political business, if you're a volunteer working, and, and Aaron was a was an active volunteer in, in Tarrant County politics long before he did anything even professionally within the business. And so I think it's just a real testimony to people who are in Texas saying, go out, serve, get involved. If you see problems, address them. If you see a potential issue, investigate it, hunt it down, because just your willingness to apply yourself will open up doors that you would never see opening up, right? The, the predictable path to even where Aaron is today or the expertise he brings to the election fraud issue is not something that you could predictably lay out. No, not at all. I mean, literally, he was focused on helping win elections in 2015. Yeah. And the reason why he started digging into this was a few offside comments from some reporters and the fact that he was interested in digging in and being able to explain to his supporters and donors why we lost by more than we anticipated. Yeah. And he, in digging into that, all the stuff, I mean, the door started, kept opening up and he kept going through and chasing that thread to see where it leads. Yeah, no. And with that, I think people are going to have a phenomenal time, guys. This conversation is one that you will not want to listen to half of it or part no. of it. I'd listen to the entire thing. It's chock full of great stories and really interesting finds. So, hey, with without further ado, let's get right to the conversation with Aaron and I. Welcome to the Luke Messias Show. This is your host, Luke Messias, with my friend and one of the top experts when it comes to election fraud in the state of Texas, Aaron Harris. Some of you know Aaron 
as a Republican activist in Tarrant County, which he's been for years. Some of you know him as the executive director of Direct Action Texas, an organization which he helped start uh, and a banner under which he became what, what he's known as when it comes to his expertise in voter fraud, election fraud. And uh, and then some of you know him as the current chief of staff of Lance Gooden, a Republican congressman from East Texas, and somebody who recently voted against the absolutely ridiculous spending package that came before us in Washington, D.C. So um, I asked Aaron to come sit down with us to talk about election fraud, to talk about his stories when it comes to uh, where he first found some of this information. I actually had the privilege of being uh, with Aaron and, and working with him in 2014, 2015, alongside him in several different issues uh, and several different elections. And, and some of those that we were involved in together were where he began to initially uncover some of this fraud that has since come to light and action has since been taken on. So, Aaron, thank you for joining us today, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a good discussion. Hey, thanks, Luke. It's great to be here with you. And, um, yeah, it is funny because the, the, the main election that got me started on this, a uh, few people know that you and I worked on that campaign yep. together. Yep. So if we if we take a step back, I'd like to really start this conversation out, and then maybe if there's, if there's any top-line issues you want to talk about when it comes to voter fraud, election fraud, any of those things, we can we can have that. But I I do want to quickly go back to the very beginning, the first couple conversations you had where you thought there might be potential fraud and what transpired and how did you uncover what you ended up uncovering? Yeah, it's a great story, actually, because if you'd have asked me prior to this, this story starting that we're about to tell, I'd have told you I didn't believe in voter fraud in any hmm you know, meaningful way other than, of course, Chicago. We all know that that, that place is a joke, right? Yeah. So we were involved in an election, um, Tarrant County Regional Water District. And, and again, as I say, you were involved in that race, and it was we had a great team. We had um, a lot of resources available to us, and we kind of, we kind of knew it was going to be a close race. But then on election night, it wasn't close at all. Yeah. And what made it interesting was after the election, I had a number of people – um, approach me with with comments and or questions, um, some of which were members of the media, by the way. So mm-hmm. so the day after, I got phone calls from the press, and and you know the first one, I think I, I think in hindsight she probably didn't mean anything by it, but uh, made a comment about you know welcome to the Fort Worth way, and then the second reporter made essentially the same comment, welcome to the Fort Worth way. And I'll never forget this reporter from the Fourth Business Press calls me and she says, well, have you figured it out yet? And before I could answer, she said. Uh, or better yet, are you going to figure it out? And I got very upset. You know, it was, it was too fresh. It was too soon, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and after a long conversation and me asking her, you know, what do you know? And if, if you know all this, why aren't you doing anything about it? Um, I said, okay, if you're not going to do your job and investigate this, then give me three names and three phone numbers and I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. And that goes down in, in, in my life's history as something I probably should have never said, yep. you know? And, and so here we are three weeks, uh, three years later, and um, we we have you know a, a very in depth investigation here in Tarrant County that yep. that election. Um, for those that don't know, in December sorry in November, we had uh, four uh, arrests in that case, yep. um, and in, in an ongoing case there. So um, it's been a long journey. It's been interesting. So I, I decided to follow up on it, and this was so this would have been May of 2015, yep. and, I, and I started finding out about a thing called vote harvesting or, or mail-in ballot harvesting. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of it. Nowadays, it's kind of funny because here we are three years later, it's kind of a common term. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, you have a congressional race out in North Carolina where a, a Republican congressman used vote harvesting to win his seat. Now even Democrats publicly admit yeah. that vote harvesting is a problem. And so I started learning about vote harvesting. And vote harvesting is basically a process where um, campaigns – will go and harvest mail-in ballots. Now, what we're going to talk about here today is illegal vote harvesting, right? Yep. It can be done legally. We're not worried about that. We are worried about illegal vote harvesting. And mail-in ballots in Texas, you're eligible to vote by mail for one of four reasons. You know, if you're over the age of 65, yep. if you're uh, disabled, which, by the way, the statutory requirement for disability is you check the box next to disabled. If you're going to be out of the county for the election, so you're going on a cruise or something. And then last, the one that, that um, you know, a lot of our friends use is temporarily incarcerated but still eligible to vote. Um, so you can you can vote by mail as well, um, and so what happens is these campaigns will fill out applications for ballot by mail okay. for senior citizens in, in mass numbers, mass quantities. Yep. 
Um, so in Tarrant County, they were doing this. And typically the pattern, which you'll find, is going to be people over the age of 85 uh, in highly um, uh, high, uh, elderly people in minority groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically they're targeting people, English, second language, um, low education. We, we, we saw one case in Kaufman County where um, every voter that we saw that was targeted was illiterate, didn't know how to read or write, mm-hmm. so they didn't even, even know. And, and what they're trying to do is find a population subset that, that won't ever realize that somebody else is voting on their behalf. Yeah. Right? So the harvesters fill out these applications, and they forge the signatures on these things. And we see this time and time again across the state. And um, then what, what happens in the process is you apply for the ballot. Yep. They, you send that to the county elections. Yep. They then verify that you're a registered voter, and then yep. they send you back a ballot. Now, in that ballot package, you're going to have instructions in English, instructions in Spanish, instructions in Vietnamese. You're going to have a thank you letter from the SOS thanking you for yep. doing your civic duty, a thing called a security envelope, which nobody knows what it is, a carrier envelope, a ballot, and God knows what else. All that really matters in there is your what's called a carrier envelope and your ballot. The carrier envelope is called such because it carries your ballot back to uh, the elections. Yep. So you fill out your ballot, you fold it, you put it in your carrier envelope. Once you close it, you sign the carrier envelope. When that arrives back at elections, they then compare the signature on the carrier envelope to that of the application. Yep. If they match, then they open the envelope and cast your ballot. And if they don't? They're supposed to reject them. Okay. But what we have found across the state is the shortest open records request you can ever submit is for a copy of all the ones that were rejected. Okay, <laughs> it, is a, it is a very, very short open records request. Okay, These things just simply don't get rejected. Yeah. And some of these are, and this is what I think helped us was just, it's visual, so we can show people mm-hmm. these things. And, mm-hmm. and you start showing people, you know, here's a signature on their application, here's a signature on their carrier. And they're not even in the realm of like, being yep. close to being similar, right? And yet, um, these are ones that were accepted. Correct, right? So these, these ballots are accepted, and and, there, and there's no way to say that these matched. Um, and so, but what we found, so we started looking into this, and we started having people come out uh, from the shadows, I guess you could say, and start, mm-hmm. and start, I guess, becoming informants, and we started chatting with them, and um, I find that if you buy people some food and some drinks, they'll tell you all sorts of things, right? And... Um, so I started spending a lot of time in Fort Worth just really investigating this thing, specifically on the north side and the east side of Fort Worth. So do you mind going into, I really think it'd be interesting for people to know where you even began, and not even where you began, but for instance, you know, you're, so so you kind of get an idea that this is what's happening, it's ballot harvesting, there's different people. I mean, are you just reaching out to these people on Facebook? Are you getting their phone numbers? Are you texting them? Are you just randomly inviting them out to have a drink and then are you do they show up and you just immediately go hey i'm aaron harris i need to know what's going on with voter harvesting or is this a three hour long conversation that then you go what's going on so i'm just interested to know the process which leads to that type of information coming sure i mean look it's 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 a really long and arduous process right um there's no easy way to do it so i started off with if you remember the journalist gave me three names and three phone numbers and these these were all kind of people that people would know these were largely elected officials different things like that and so i i started by calling those people who told me about other people who introduced me to and you start going down that line now to to your point uh this was old-fashioned investigative work everybody was different some people i would i would you know say you know, Luke, would you, you tell me about somebody you know that knows more about this stuff? And I say, hey, Luke, would you, would you set up, you know, time for us yep. to have happy hour with this person? And, and relationally, it's always ideal if, if it can be a relational connection, right? Because yep. then Luke can vouch for me and those per, that the person will probably talk sooner. Other folks were, were, were much less. It was literally you track these people down, you follow them, and you come up with a reason to talk to them. Um, personally, I love, I love having to make up a scenario and a reason to talk to people mm-hmm. and then what's really ha- what's really exciting i mean it's adrenaline rush when you like just meet somebody start talking to them they have no idea that the whole thing's contrived and then you know an hour later they start telling you things they shouldn't be telling you like there's very few things in life as exhilarating as that mm-hmm. okay just to be honest with you <laughs> but but most of it word for it most of it was relational yeah um and so it was just you know one person you connect me with this person connect me with that person connect me with that person the irony of it was, Luke, that as I started getting into the community and word started getting out that I was talking to people, mm-hmm. the, the 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 folks that run this operation um, got very nervous, yeah. and they began spreading rumors that um, you know I was 
all these crazy things to try to um, to try to marginalize me and to try to scare people out mm-hmm. of talking to me. But in so doing, what they really did was create like this big myth around me in in the minority community. Mm-hmm. And what I found, what I learned over the last couple of years, is people will tell you, people will become informants and tell you things they shouldn't for two main reasons. They need to know first and foremost that that they're safe by talking to you, mm-hmm. right? So if they tell you about criminal activity or illicit activity, they need to know that you're not going to burn them. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, they need to know that you have the power or the ability or the access to do something about yep. it. So if they're going to risk their safety or their reputation, yep. in this case, a lot of it was just reputational, right? Like they tell you about this, I'll never be able to be a Democrat operative again or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to risk that, they need to know that you have the ability to actually deliver results. Mm-hmm. So the irony of it was that the, the folks that run these operations started spreading these rumors about me, mostly that that I was you know well-connected and that uh, the AG and all these people like worked on my behalf, and it, yep. w- it was the craziest stories. But the minority community bought into it, and so when I would show up to talk to them, they felt like they were safe to talk to me because I was this alleged very... Like well-connected guy, and it, it backfired on him. It was hilarious. So that actually had this huge um, benefit to me because as I as I went to meet, I was able to get through in ways that I should not have, mm-hmm. and, and get people to tell me things that 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 they should have told me. So, you know, I met I met everybody from elected officials one on one to uh, people on the streets. One of my one of my favorite stories I was sharing with you earlier was. Uh, as I started meeting with people, all these stories keep coming back to this one guy in this in this particular race. It was 2015 race. There was this one guy that was kind of new on the scenes, and everybody kept kept mentioning his name was Joey. And um, so I finally got sick of hearing this guy's name. I said, like, "I got to meet this guy, right?" Yeah. So I called um, somebody who's who I knew was a mutual friend, and I yep. said, "You know, Steve, I need to meet this guy." And uh, he said, "Okay, Aaron, let me see what I can do." So he called me back a couple hours later, and he said. You know, Joey's traveling, he's this, he's that, kind of busy, but he can meet you tonight at 10.30. Now, who the heck meets somebody at 10.30 at night, right? So I got a little concerned um, because we were meeting in, in, you know, let's say not my part of town and um, uh, at 10.30 at night. So I ended up taking some folks to stay outside while I went in, and we agreed to meet at at Steve's, the the mutual friend's house. And uh, and it was concerning. It ended up being a great meeting. Um, We've become you know, friends since then, mm-hmm. and uh, we're still friends to this day, but it was just that type of thing, right? You just have to, you just have to follow the trail where it may lead, mm-hmm. and, and you hear about names, and you go meet them at 1030 at night, yep. um, and, and that's what you do, so it was, a, it was a lot of that, and so into these meetings, you're, you're having all these different meetings, all these conversations, you're gathering all this information, at what point do you feel like I think I've got enough information to take action. You know, well, like so that's I, a great question. So it's kind of what you know and what you can prove, yep, right? Yep. And so we could prove the vote harvesting pretty quickly. You normally can because the evidence is in the applications and the ballots. Yep. It's a public record. I'll never forget, Luke. I went down. I didn't know what I was looking for. I never knew anything about mail-in ballots. I mean, this, the whole thing was new, new yep. to me. So we decided to go look at the water border race is a very large geographic area. Yes. So we, we bid off one city council district that we knew harvesting occurred on. That was yep. city council district two, uh, city council member Sal Spino. Who no longer is a city council member. Uh, correct. He, he decided to not run for re-election about three weeks after we went public with this information. Yep. But he said it was not related. Not related uh, at all. So, uh, so we decided to go down and look at these. We had no idea what we were looking for at the time. Yep. First time I was ever going to look at these. We, we put in the request, and they basically pull all of these applications and carriers out for you and put them in these trays on these big tables, you can come down and, and look at them while uh, election staff watches you to make sure you're not taking anything, et cetera. So I went with um, the now famous Joey, uh, a gentleman by the name of Lon Burnham, who was an 18-year Democrat state rep, yep. um, and um, a Democrat uh, a general consultant operative here in Tarrant County, uh, and, and then... So three Democrats, and yep. then my my uh, our director of election integrity at Direct Action Texas, Christine Walborn, and myself, and we were looking at that at, at there was an overlap with that city council district on our water board. Yes, and Sal Espino had won his race by twenty six votes. However, he had lost both in person early and in person election. In other words, election day when when actual people showed up and voted, he lost, but he won mail in ballots. Got it. 
to win the election by 26 votes. So we go down, and every single one of his ballots was also in the water district. So we went down and looked at those. Within an hour, we had 100 that were uh, clearly the signatures did not match. But yeah. not only that, it was all the applications, the handwriting on all the applications was the same. And, and it was the wildest thing. And actually, uh, we ended up looking at all the ballots and carriers for that entire district. It took us an hour and a half, two hours. It wasn't very long. I remember walking outside, and three Democrats and two hardcore Tea Party Republicans stood around in a circle, like a little prayer circle. And we just sat there in silence because all five of us witnessed beyond a re- beyond doubt a stolen mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. Like you hear of these things, yep. but seeing it with your own eyes was unbelievable. We all knew at that moment that Sal was illegitimately in office. Mm-hmm. And that was when we were really off to the races. It was yep. like, we know it's here. We've seen it. And so the challenge now was, so, so to your question, now we have proof. Yep. Okay. But what you don't know is who did what and how they did it. That's right. And so I spent the majority of my time. At that point, what we did was we split up, and and Christine, uh, God bless her, just spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end going through these. So we would order these. We ordered all the carriers and mail-in ballots for the TRWD. You end up with about four pages per voter because front and back application, front and back ballot. We ordered all those. It was like 26,000 pages. Yeah. Um, they gave it to me on a CD, and I walked down to Kinko's, and I said, I need to print all these. Kinko's looked at me like, are you crazy, <laughs> brother? And um, But they did. Um, that, was, uh, that wasn't that was a cheap project. And we brought them in, in, in-house and started sorting them by precinct. And, 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 and that was an interesting proposition. Yeah. We started sorting them by precinct. We found that the precincts had common handwritings. Hmm. Right? And, and, and then we started mapping. I had a big map on the wall. We started color-coding our map by handwriting and precinct. Mm-hmm. And once we did so, we were very easy, easily able to determine the turf of each mm-hmm. canvasser yep. or, or uh, a harvester. So you can will. see the pattern and say, this this person, whoever had this handwriting, and right. you at that point don't know whose handwriting that is, correct? Well, on, on, on some of them we did, and some okay. of them we didn't. And so, yeah. you, you know, this area might just be, we know these eight precincts were covered by this person with this handwriting. Correct. Or it's actually, we actually know who this person is. Right. And they definitely had this turf. And, and that was one of the fun things. And so we so we had like, on the east side of Fort Worth, we had all that same handwriting, but we didn't know who it was, right? Yes. So in order for us to pursue finding out anything about this operation, we need to first find out who the operator was. And so um, uh, it was interesting. We, we did a um, uh, door-to-door survey. Okay. Post-election quality control survey to see, uh, you know, in in we had some folks that were, that were from the neighborhood mm-hmm. that went out and basically had this had this great script of, you know, hey, we're doing quality control on the election. We saw that you voted by mail. Voting by mail could be complicated. What was your experience like? Did you yep. find the forms confusing? Did anybody help you? And then uh, and people tell you the darndest things, you know. And then of course, ultimately, it was, you know, do you know who helps you? And so we targeted just doors that had this handwriting yes it took us um gosh uh, like two dozen doors before we actually ran into a voter who knew the name and here was the funny thing um so that that door that we finally pulled up on i think it was like our 21st door or something yeah. we, we pulled up to that door and, and i told the guy i was driving and, and and guy from the neighborhood was doing the door-to-door knocking yeah and i said you're gonna get the name on this door and i'm gonna give you 50 bucks if you come back with a name right so I parked down the road. He gets out. He runs down. And he comes back about five minutes later. Jumps in the car. He's all excited. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the name. I got the name. And uh, like, sweet, you just made an extra 50 bucks. And and he looks at me. He goes, man, how did you know that I was going to get it on that door? And he just, at that moment, like, thought I was a genius. Yep. And so how I knew was when we pulled up, so I I knew through the grapevine yep. that a certain city councilwoman in Fort Worth sister ran this operation but it wasn't her sister's handwriting on this thing yeah now by this time we were like three two and a half three months past the election when i pulled up to that house that city councilwoman's sign was still on the side of the house and i said to myself only a personal friend would still have that sign up right regular voter is not going to have a sign up three months later so at that point i said this is a personal friend callie allen grace she's gonna know who the operator is and Phyllis Gray is Kellyanne Gray's sister. She runs a massive mail-in voter harvesting operation on the east side and south side of Fort Worth. 
And so, sure enough, he goes up to the door, and of course, this person knew exactly who the harvester mm-hmm. was. So it was a lot of that type of work, Luke. Yeah. Um, and, and so we spent time. Christine at that point just spent time gathering the hard evidence. Yep. I spent time gathering the who's doing what. Yep. So you you have a multi-layered organizational chart from yep. the, the the canvassers or harvesters on the ground. Mm-hmm. They're the people actually going door to door. And then you have kind of the mid, mid-management guys that are giving out the daily list, the targets, and kind of running those folks, yep. collecting the ballots from them. And then you have kind of the consultant slash targeting slash mastermind slash money handler. And then at the top, of course, you have the actual people paying for it. It took me a long time to kind of map that whole org chart out. Um, but there again, mapping the org chart out and being able to prove it in a court of law, yes. th- these, are cr- these are criminal charges. Yep. You're, you're never going to get conviction, but I needed to know. I needed yep. to know. And so we spent a long a year and a half doing that. Um, and it was interesting because when I when I filed my complaint with the Attorney General's office, I filed over like 2,200 pages of stuff in my original complaint. Uh, they were like, okay, 2,200 pages, that's great, interesting stuff. Let's talk about this org chart. Like all they want to do is talk about the org chart, right? And, and I was like, I just threw that together when we were throwing, you know, we were putting this thing together, you yep. know? And, but that was that was the hard work. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so let's bring that Tarrant County case to to you know full perspective or fruition as as where it is today um what what was the give me the elevator pitch of what it, it was you found okay so if somebody okay. were to say what is all uh, you pulled all this stuff together and then that led to what and then what is that led to okay sure so so we've been talking about vote harvesting and we haven't yet yeah, we haven't really yes. said what it is we found so what we found is mostly well, well first off when i started trying to find people to talk to me what i found there's two types of democrats in tarrant county those who use vote harvesting to win and those who get beat by vote harvesting in the Democratic primary. And so uh, those that get beat by vote harvesting Democratic primary have a very large political motive to stay quiet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they don't want to talk about it. They don't, they, they will get, they will get off, they will mm-hmm. get excommunicated from the Democratic Party if they talk about it. Those that use it are the ones doing the excommunication, okay? And so what I had to do was find enough Democrats who were willing to talk to me off the record about it. There, you know, uh, there are some Democrats out there who, who have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. They just don't have an outlet. And so I tried to position myself as the outlet. So what we found um, is that the vote harvesting operation is bigger than anybody thought, but it's mostly used in Democratic primaries, which is a family crime. Mm-hmm. And then we also found, though, that it's used in municipal elections. And this is where we became a casualty of mm-hmm. it in 2015. The race we were running was on the May ballot, the municipal mm-hmm. ballot. And so it became very interesting. As I started communicating with law enforcement, I found that, that their their prosecutions and their findings were the same thing, which was very high propensity for this being used in municipal elections. And so let me go back and answer your first question. What do they do? What they do is they use vote harvesting in order to tilt the, the, the balance, right, tip the balance, in their favor and um, and win these elections, and it has nothing to do with D or R, conservative or liberal, it has to do with contracts. And I'll give you an exact example. Uh, we actually found that the gentleman that runs this operation in Tarrant County is a quote-unquote revenue partner at a local law firm, well, at a statewide law firm. This law firm does one thing. They are in the tax collection business. So they collect yep. property taxes, red light mm-hmm. camera fees, weed lien fees, whatever cities and school districts do, they collect those taxes. So their clients are the school districts. Their clients are the cities. And so they have this guy who goes around and uh, is a revenue uh, generator, but really what he does is run mail-in ballot harvesting operations and campaigns to get proper politicians elected. Mm. And how do I know so? Well, he, he sent a letter to his boss several years ago, which I was able to obtain through some court records, in which he's laying out um, wanting a raise. So the the managing partner for us, guy by the name um, of um, Meeks, and um, and uh, Mario Perez is the operator's name. So Mario okay. sends sends Meeks a letter and he says, "I want a raise, and here's how much of a raise I want. Here's why I should get a raise." And he lists all these school districts, you know, Arlington ISD, Fort Worth ISD, Keller ISD, that he had brought on board, and then he talks about how much money they all make for the firm. And then he says in the letter, the reason we've been so successful at landing these accounts is because we identify candidates, not elected officials, but candidates to run for office. Uh, we help them run for office and then, then they're willing to look at, 
at changing that contract over to us. I mean, it's right there in the letter, yeah. right? And so this is the financial motive that they have for vote harvesting. Yep. So we found that this stuff is 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 widespread in municipal elections. We find that it's driven and, by and vendors. one of the reasons for that being that so few people vote in these elections. Correct. Would you agree? I mean, That's it's right. just the fact that when you have such low voter turnout, the ability for your voter harvesting operation to swing the election is significantly greater than in a congressional general election where several hundred thousand 100%. people are voting. Right. Even even in your bigger cities like Fort Worth. Your your margin your your numerical margin is so small because you got to keep in mind, say that fourth has single member districts, yep. right? So you might have two thousand people vote, but you know from one to the other, it might only be a hundred votes yep. difference between candidate A and candidate B. In the suburbs like Keller and stuff, it's 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 two three hundred votes, yeah. among uh, between the whole thing. So you know it, their ability to affect this, it's much harder to do vote harvesting at levels that that affect a general election, which is why yep. you just don't see them do it there. Although it's changed now with the onslaught of annual applications for ballot by mail. That's a radio show into itself. Yes. But you saw this in Dallas last year. So there was a uh, year before last, you saw a city council race in Dallas where you had single member districts with 30, 40, 44% was the highest mm-hmm. percent of the total votes being cast by mail. Okay. That doesn't organically happen. Yep. That was harvest. And, uh, and organic, uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember just off the top of my head, 10 percent less yeah, than 15 percent a lot i mean historically it's, it's, it was like three in the last six years it's really grown so yeah. our, our range is like three to 12 yeah okay, okay. that's right yeah i was thinking like eight to ten is kind yeah. of most of what you I start see. hitting like 18 20 percent like it's bizarre okay yeah. um so so dallas had a city council race where, where there was a 44 percent of the ballots were mailing and, and in that case, you had a, you had a conviction there for one guy, Miguel Hernandez, who operated under the pseudonym of Jose Rodriguez. One guy harvested seven hundred sixty-six ballots in a city council race by wow. himself. Okay, so now, now I want to I want to back up real quick. So we've covered a lot of stuff. I want to when you say that guy harvested, let me let let's let's walk people through real quickly what exactly that means. So. He walked up to 766 homes. He filled out 766 applications. He did he vote for those people? Did he how did how exactly? Yes, yeah, so let's did talk work? about the term harvesting, right? So yep. we really haven't explained what harvesting means. Yep. So I talked about how the operations will forge and send in the applications, and the voters never even know it. So that's step yep. one. So after that, now the county elections is going to send them a ballot. Yep, and that's where the harvesting operation happens. Now. They use different techniques to know when the ballot's going to be in your mailbox, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'll skip over that in high detail. Yep. But, I, but I will tell you, for example, down in the valley, there was a postal worker convicted about a year and a half ago. He was pulling over at the end of a shift, handing a list of every address he had delivered a ballot to, to a politiquera, a harvester down there, and she was handing him cash. That's one way of doing it. Got it. Um, but they, they know when the ballot's going to be. Then they show up at your house and harvest the ballot. So... Some classic techniques in West Dallas, uh, Domingo Garcia, along with David Espinosa, who's a Grand Prairie ISD school board trustee, have started this foundation called, and you can't make this stuff up, the Harvest Project. So what the Harvest Project, <laughs> it's a true story. So what the Harvest Project does is deliver fruits and vegetables to um, elderly people in the community. The, the weird thing is, Luke, it's so bizarre. They only deliver during election cycle. Go figure. And so... They show up, and, and it's always going to be demographically specific people, meaning Hispanics at Hispanic stores, African-Americans mm-hmm. at African-American doors. And they'll, hey, you know, we're here. We know times are tough, so we're helping people out by delivering some foods and vegetables. And they saw they start the conversation. Now Miss Smith lets them in the door and to put these down in their kitchen whatever. And then they start with, you know, there's an election going on. We need to make sure our community's represented. We need to make sure that our community this, our community that. By the way, did you get your ballot? To which they'll say, yeah, we just got it today. Excellent. Well, we want to make sure that, that your you know ballot gets counted. Let us help you with that. And you open it up, and as I mentioned, there's instructions in English, Spanish, Vietnamese, security envelope, carrier envelope, ballot, yep. letter. They go, don't worry about any of this. Just sign this. We'll take care of the rest. So while you're signing your security en- or your carrier envelope, they will turn around and fill out the ballot. Or sometimes they won't. They'll just do the ballot later. We have a story from one individual who uh, the harvester was filling out the ballot while they were signing the, the security envelope. And he says to the harvester, uh, hey, my cousin's running for JP. Make sure you vote for my cousin. The harvester says, oh, too late. I already filled out your ballot. Takes a carrier envelope from him. Walks out with carrier envelope <laughs> ballot. Okay. Um, we have another guy. So the guy voted against his cousin. Guy voted against his own cousin. That's rough. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we have another guy who lives in front of the uh, uh, polling locations. It's elementary school. 
Leticia Sanchez shows up at his door and says, hey, you know, it's time to vote, blah, 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 make sure our community is represented. So um, he says, you know, I'm not going to vote by mail because I've been voting across the street for 20 years. My wife and I just walk 60 feet across the street and we vote. She's like, no, 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 the lines are going to be really busy this year. You need to vote by mail. And she goes on and on. He won't do it. So finally she says, uh, okay, I get it, but I get paid for voter engagement. Will you sign my form so I can go home for the day? You're my last one for my quota. Who would say no to that? He's like, yeah, yeah. sure. So he, he signs her clipboard. She goes, well, will your wife sign sign as well? Can you get her? So he goes, gets his wife, comes back, signs that. Well, what we find out later is they signed their own carrier out. So she had removed his uh, ballot from the mailbox. She had it with him, and he signed his own carrier envelope, not knowing that that's what he was signing under the pretense of it being a, a you know voter engagement uh, quota. And when he showed up to vote two weeks later, he walks across the street to go vote, and he finds out he already voted, so he couldn't vote again. Mm. So that's how they harvest these ballots. One-on-one, it's, um, yeah, so it, when it's we, a lot of work. So when we talk about somebody in Dallas who personally harvested 766 ballots, it's, in essence, 750-plus of those type of interactions with those type of people. Yeah, so what's Is interesting that right? about that case, that's right. And so what's interesting about this case, voters, listeners need to understand, all these were misdemeanors until last year, so we passed SB5 yep. and special. Now, this guy um, committed 765 misdemeanors. He screwed up on one. What he did on the one, he shows up at this door, and this he had this voter's ballot and carrier envelope mm-hmm. out of her mailbox. He was trying to entice her to sign her carrier envelope, but she had the wherewithal. She was asking him who he was with, and he had an ID around his neck, um, that he had created to to um, he was telling voters he was with some made up city department. Okay. Okay. She snapped a picture of his ID. He took off, but he took off with her ballot and carrier envelope. She then followed up. This is so rare. The voter yeah. followed up, and he forged and cast her ballot. And so he actually uh, illegally voted. Yeah. Okay. So that one was a felony and that's what busted him. Wow. If he'd have just not done that one, he'd have had 765 misdemeanor cases Yeah. and like it'd have been deferred adjudication and $200 fine. <laughs> okay. Like, so, yep. so it's a big deal, but, but with SB five now, uh, you know, there's been some headlines this year about how voter fraud cases are up 80% in Texas. Yep. And the reason for that is for the first time, it's a natural crime. Yeah. Like, it's not been a crime until this last year. So we're very thankful for that. Now we can finally start showing people that this stuff actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some some big reforms on the books for this this sludge cycle session that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. We have big hopes. We're very excited about the election committee that was put together yep. by Speaker Bonin and chaired by uh, Stephanie Click, Representative yep. Click. So we're very optimistic that now we can actually – last session we didn't really get any reforms. We just got, mm-hmm. like, criminalizing it, yep. um, which is a first step. Yep. Now we can actually start reforming this stuff. That's awesome. So since Tarrant County, I know that that, um, and there have been several cases prosecuted in Tarrant County as a result of, of that. Is that correct? Uh, that particular investigation, no, there's been several cases in Tarrant County kind of recently. at the same time. And recently yep. we've had um, a felony voter, but we also had a non-citizen voter. That one got a lot of national headlines. Rosa mm-hmm. Ortega's her name. Ortega's case got a lot of headlines because she, so she'd been voting for about 10, 12 years in Dallas County, got moved it. to Tarrant County registered to vote. When she registered to vote, she checked, are you a citizen? She checked, no. Sends it in. She Her application was rejected. Uh, she turned around and called Tarrant County and argued with him and said, you got to register me to vote. I've been voting for 10 years in Dallas County. Okay. <laughs> the lady at Tarrant County is like, I can't. You said you're not a citizen. So she waits a couple weeks, sends in a new application, checks yes. And the clerk testified in court that had she not argued with her on the phone, she would have never remembered or would have processed it, right? Yep. would have gone right through, which just tells everybody there is no check for citizenship other than the box. Yep. So because of that argument, she got busted, and a jury convicted her and sentenced her to eight years in jail. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So now in Tarrant County's case, um, there's a couple things that are interesting. But, yeah, we just had four people arrested. Lachisa Sanchez, who I mentioned, her daughter and two other operatives were arrested in November um, and the interesting thing about Leticia in specific is she, um, they were actually able to lift the DNA off the envelopes and they got a warrant and went and got DNA, uh, Leticia Sanchez's DNA. So this will be the first voter fraud case involving DNA. So I'm kind of, <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Normally that's something that's used in, you know, like rape cases or murder cases <laughs> or whatever. Right. So here we have DNA. I mean, go licking those envelopes. That's what's going to happen. So since Tarrant County, I know you've been involved in a couple other investigations 
in other counties. Yeah. What has has there been anything different that you found other than the voter harvesting, ballot by mail, fraud kind of um, technique, or are there other techniques that you've found when it comes to election fraud? And we, I know you've mentioned the fact that election fraud and voter fraud are different. So can you please explain? Sure. Yeah. So so this is one of the things I wanted to, to bring up, which is we use the term voter fraud a lot, but. Yep. Um, but most of this is election fraud, meaning the voter didn't actually have anything to do with it, right? Voter fraud is a voter committing fraud. So that's uh, the that's the um, illegal immigrant voting. Correct. Or, or, or the felon that we had here um, in Tarrant County, Crystal, um, who uh, her name was Crystal. I, I don't remember her last name. Anyhow, she received. I mean, she she received a letter. 60 days before the election, whatever, said, you cannot vote, you're a felon. She tried to register. And then she went down and intentionally voted nonetheless. That's voter fraud. Like, okay. she knew what yep. she was doing. Yep. She was trying to, to to vote when she knew she wasn't eligible. Election fraud is when other things happen that the voter didn't cause, right? That's so, the 760 yeah, when, harvesting Yeah, when you're talking about mail-in ballot harvesting, right, the voter is not a participant in that fraud. So that's election fraud. Um, so to your to your question, what else have we found? The interesting thing, I'll stick, let me stick to voter harvesting real quick. What I found on that is a that it's 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 much more widespread than we ever thought. I once I like I told you at the, at the beginning when I looked into this, I didn't believe in voter fraud. Then I found it, and I was like, okay, this is an urban minority community thing. And then what we found is we have a criminal investigation in Gregg County, which is Longview, Texas. I mean, it's actually the biggest complaint we've ever filed was in Longview unbelievable activity going on out there. Um, everybody in this one commissioner district is disabled and votes by mail, like everybody, okay? Like, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the, the, the anything. They just, they just all check disabled and vote by mail. Uh, we did one out in, um, uh, gosh, just uh, the side of Shreveport. I forget the name of the county now. Nueces County, the Valley, all over the place. Dallas County, obviously. So it's much more widespread. You have situations where uh, the, the, one of the challenges is these things just aren't covered, right? Mm -hmm. January 1st, 2012, the school board president of Donna ISD hung himself because the FBI was about to indict him for having used mail-in uh, mail ballot harvesting to win his election, okay? So instead of getting arrested, he killed himself. Three other school board members go on to be indicted and convicted. You will not find a single story about this case anywhere in the Houston Chronicle, the Austin Statesman, et cetera. If you Google it, you'll find a local yokel uh, paper, and that's it. Um, so this stuff is, is wise. What, what ISD is that? That was Donna ISD down oh. on the border, Eagle Pass area. So he, um, you have all these cases that nobody knows about, and but they're there, right? So the stuff's much more widespread than I ever knew or understood until yeah. I got into the space. You know, but but also there's some things that happen that that aren't like conspiratorial fraud, like if you if you want to call it that. Uh, we did a case in Hill County, the Republican primary Hill County, where um, they had 9,038 ballots cast in an election mm -hmm. with only 7,171 voters. So anybody listening should automatically um, know that that's a problem unless, unless they're a recent high school graduate of Common yep. Core Math. But So 7,171 voters, 9,000 ballots. And in that case, uh, so we filed a complaint on that, obviously 18% more ballots yep. than voters. The AG came in and impounded. There was an investigation. What we found in that case was, like, mistakes that you can't even imagine, like that you would never make up mm -hmm. after a drinking game. Mm -hmm. Like, they made mistakes mm -hmm. that you couldn't even make up, okay? Every mistake they made. They also double and triple counted paper ballots. So you have your mail-in paper ballots, your early voting paper ballots, and your election day paper ballots. Mm -hmm. They grabbed their mail-in paper ballots, put it in the ballot scanner, counted them, 510, wrote 510 down, grabbed their early voting paper ballots, put them in the ballot scanner, counted them, but they didn't zero the machine out. Yep. So they wrote they the cumulative count as the early yep. voting, and then they grabbed the election, did the same thing. So anyhow, they made all these mistakes. The net result was the election results are incorrect. Yeah, the net result was ESNS put out a press statement saying the election results were incorrect. The county has since admitted the election results were incorrect. Doesn't matter because it was past the 30 days, so those election results still stand. Okay. Are now, there any elections that we know would be different as yes. a result? So um, the, there's what I know and there's what I can prove. Okay. Yep. And there's what I feel comfortable saying on the radio yep. uh, or on a podcast. Sorry. Uh, I, the one, the two that I call out by name um, all the time are Sal Espino, which is the first one I mentioned, yep. right? So Sal definitely stole his election, like no doubt. They faxed yep. all these applications from his office. I mean, the whole thing's nuts. Yep. The other is uh, Lon Burnham and Ramon Romero's yep. race. So Ramon yep. stole that race against Lon. He used digital signatures. He allegedly beat Lon in the primary by 110 votes. 
There's several hundred digital signatures that we know are digital. The county knows are digital. The election code, get this, guys. The election code did not prohibit digital signatures. Therefore, the county accepted them, okay? Because they weren't explicitly excluded, they accepted digital signatures. It was actually the county that taught us that those were digital. We were looking at some application, like, these signatures all look the same. And one of the county works, oh, yeah, those are digital. And I was like, what? said, yeah, those are all digital. And what we found is actually first and second generation digital signatures. And what they do is they go house to house with iPads. They do petitions. You know, Republicans are trying to take, insert, African-American, senior, Hispanic right to vote away, sign our petition. You sign the petition. They then lift your signature, print it on your application or your carrier, and you never even know it. Yep. Crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, so so uh, one other quick question I'm thinking, and this goes back into what you even just alluded to when, when it comes to certain things that are and aren't crimes. So the way the criminal code is set up currently, I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking you. So the way the criminal code is set up currently, you know, if I if I am orchestrating a ballot harvesting voter or election fraud, you know, um, organization, am I criminally am, am I participating in criminal activity or is it just the individuals who are going door to door forging the signatures so and sending in the ballots? Historically, no. Like there was no liability other than people going door. So if you look at all the so, convictions. So the point being that if you're the person who brings everything together, designs the whole plan, for it, whatever. says, hey, we can deliver a thousand votes, which you know are going to be delivered illegally, right. hire a bunch of people. You're doing nothing criminally. Uh, you're doing nothing criminal. Well, uh, except unless yeah, ex- unless you're the person actually physically going door to door, and that's their argument, right? Is that we didn't do it, they did it. But but to answer your question, technically, yes, we passed in the last legislative session. We added organized election fraud to the state equivalent of the RICO statute, which is engaged in organized criminal activity. Yep. Which, by the way, first time it's ever been charged was the Tarrant County indictment uh, in November. So you see the the first engaged in organized criminal activity yep. charge there. Um, but, um, but yeah, so historically there was no way to move up the ladder if it would move up the chain. Yep. Now we can't, but again, it's very hard to prove, um, you know, it's, it's always easy for them to say, well, I didn't know she was doing this or he was doing that. Right. I was just telling them to go door to door. Right. Right. Encourage these people to vote. It's a hard charge to, to, to get stick. Yep. Yep. That totally makes sense. So I want to quickly go into, you mentioned some of the stuff, um, regarding the elections committee and things like that this session. We're in legislative session. We have a little over 100 days to go. And I know you're in D.C. fighting the good fight for the people of Texas there. And so uh, I'm more in Austin. But I I do think it's worth noting that, yes, conservatives are very encouraged by the fact that Stephanie Click is chairing the elections committee, that Mays Middleton, Briscoe Kane, other conservatives are on that committee and going to be able to – I mean, it looks like it's a committee that would be able to advance – conservative reforms and really just common sense reforms, right? It's really unfortunate that any of this stuff has been held up in in elections past right. or, or sessions past. Right. And, uh, but hopefully that committee is able to, to move out. Are there any reforms in particular that you think would be pretty important for just common sense Texans that would want to have um, an election with some integrity in it? Yeah. So, we, we, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get into a lot of specifics because yeah. then you're giving kind of people a heads yeah. up on, on, yeah. on but, but I will say that Maybe there are certain things that you think are problems that need to be addressed in some way. I think what we've seen this last uh, three, four weeks has been the citizenship problem with voter registrations, yeah. right? So that's a project that Direct Action Texas broke last last, uh, last August publicly and we've been very engaged in. Uh, what we know is that we have a problem with voters, voter registration in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anything we can do to clean that up, it was, it, it's funny. You know, it's, it's hard to find common ground with Democrats on that. Yep. I, did a, I had a long conversation with a Texas Observer uh, reporter uh, the other day, and and I and he was trying to to say that you know Democrats want to fix this problem too. I said really, I said, I said let me ask you something. When you talk to your Democrat friends, find one that'll say that non-citizens shouldn't be voting, right? Like we can't even find dem- common ground with Democrats that yeah. non-citizens should not be yeah. voting. And Is let's it, start from uh, that place. Wasn't it like Stacey Abrams the? Democrat candidate for in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. yeah. When she was asked, she yeah. said, what did she say? Uh, it was I wouldn't be opposed like, to I it. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't oppose it, but, but not I only wouldn't that. tell them to vote, but I wouldn't oppose them voting. Right. Right. And, and you got to look at what, what's their agenda, right? I mean, in yeah. California, in Maryland, in other places, they're already allowing non-citizens to vote in school mm-hmm. board and city right. council races. Yep. So it's not like we have to guess what their long game is. They're telling us what their long game is. So um, we need to have a situation where we can ensure that, 
Uh, a couple of things. Look, stat, our election code currently, 18062, requires that Texas participate in an interstate voter check. What that means is if Luke Macias moves from Texas to yep. Colorado, don't know why you would do that, but let's say you moved from Texas to Colorado and you registered to vote yep. in Colorado, you should be removed from the Texas rolls. Do you know, Luke, right now there is no system in place to do that, even though the state statute says they shall do that. So the Secretary of State is 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 mandated obligated to is do ma- it. obligated is mandated by the election code 18062 to to uh, participate in a interstate cross check to take people off the voter rolls. We don't currently do that. Um, you know that that is, there are people on the voter rolls who are registered in other states. Now, is that by an action of the voter? No, that's the voter registered in Georgia or Colorado or wherever did their mm-hmm. thing and they're moved on. But what happens is when you have these people on the voter rolls who aren't going to vote, it, voter election fraud is an opportunity crime. And if you leave those people there, it's very easy for guys like you and me that know how to look at data. We can figure out who those people are, and then we can mm-hmm. vote by mail form, and they're never going to be around to complain. Yep. yep. So we have to clean up our voter rolls. That's first step. And, and I think the conversation we need to have with, with Democrats is, look, I think we can all admit there's a problem. So let's talk about how we clean this up in a mm-hmm. way that, that, that we don't have an issue. So. Um, that's one. Um, second is is really addressing a lot of these mail-in ballot problems. Yeah. Um, and I think that we have the momentum there because it's just been one news story after the other after the yeah. other on that. And then, and then there's just a lot of very weedy um, election code stuff that, yeah. that people would, would glaze over to talk about. The problem with the election code is it's very technical. Mm-hmm. And and I always say in my speeches when I'm speaking to a group, I say, you know, if, if you have insomnia and Leviticus and Deuteronomy don't do it for you, try reading the election code. You'll go right to sleep, <laughs> right? So, you know, with Stephanie and the rest of the committee, we're optimistic that we can get some reforms. We're optimistic that we can get some things done. Senator Hughes has filed a massive, uh, a massive uh, election reform bill in the yep. Senate. And um, I've been been glad talking to his office and helping a little bit with that. So I, I think we'll have some good movement there. Good, good. How is Washington, D.C.? You've been there for a couple uh, months. This is getting off of the uh, election fraud, voter fraud train. But as we're kind of wrapping things up today, um, you know, you've, you've been in D.C. for just just, I don't know, 30 days, 45 like days, seven weeks, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So give us uh, give us a couple bullet point insights. Well, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's. It's, it's not that swampy, right? Really, it's they're no. just a bunch of good people trying to do the right thing for our country. So, for the record, that was Luke Messiah's statement. Okay. Uh, no, it, it, it's as bad as you think. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's the same game as Austin. It's just a much bigger sandbox. There, yeah. you know. I think the thing that I wasn't ready for is like how many people want access. Yeah. So our office receives you know thirty to fifty um, requests a day for meetings with the congressman. Wow. Um, and so just trying to navigate through that. But um, it's um, I, I will say this: it's it. There's a lot of freedom in being in the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot less pressure, and it's just yeah. kind of like you know trying to slow down the Democrats. It'll be uh, it's going to be an interesting two years with Nancy Pelosi at the helm. Yeah, we ended up on financial services with Maxine Waters as chairwoman. Wow. Um, but not only do we have Maxine Waters on there, we have like all the far left progressive freshmen from the Democrat side. Mm. So the the fun thing for us though is like Maxine spends more time trying to control the left-wing <laughs> part of her party than she does trying to, like, stop the Republicans. So it's it's great just watching her squirm every time AOC or Omar open their vo- the, yep. their mouth, right? It's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, fr- from, from a Republican perspective, um, there's a lot of freedom and just, you can just have fun and enjoy mm-hmm. the next two years. You know, the one thing that I think is interesting is I'm used to being in Texas where we can truly just blame our elected officials for not getting the things done that they mm-hmm. need to get done because yep. you have a, a majority, super majority that run as conservatives in Texas and get down to yep. Austin and they're not conservative. In DC, you don't have that dynamic. So it's kind of an interesting, yep. like kind of refilling the game and filling out how that works up there. It's, it's a much different uh, dynamic in that way. But, but I'll tell you, I, f- I find that the elected officials are largely the same caliber or lack thereof that you find in any level of government. Yeah. Um, the staff, though, are amazing. Like, like the quality and level of staff, I think American people don't appreciate. I, I've really been impressed by the level of people that work there. Doesn't mean they're conservatives, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. what you find up there, the Republicans in Texas are different than Republicans in D.C. And, and the biggest thing is the Republicans in D.C. believe in big government. Yep. They just believe, like, if we're in charge of big government, it'll be good government. Yeah. The Democrats' big government's bad. Our big government's good. In yep. Texas, we're like, you know, forget the big government. We're going to live in cities like Gun Barrel City, right? Like, like we're like... We don't need yep. the government. So it's a much different type of Republican brand. Yep. 
Awesome. Aaron, I cannot thank you enough for coming, sitting, having this conversation, giving us some of these insights. I think Texans in general, um, you know, we, we hear the stories, uh, we make assumptions. Um, there are a lot of rumors out there about election fraud, but it's, it's a whole other thing to sit down and actually hear story by story by story of real cases happening. And again, I mean, they, they say every, every single vote that is stolen is another vote that, you know, wasn't counted, right? And it really crosses out somebody else's legitimate uh, vote. And, and, and we have a democratically elected republic in this nation, and it's worth protecting and preserving. And if you don't have elections that people actually can have faith in, then I think it really goes to undermining the underpinnings of society that we have here yep. in this nation. So yep. I'm very grateful for all the work that you've done. And um, I know Direct Action Texas is continuing to do a lot of that work, even though you are now in D.C. That's right. And, um, and DirectActionTexas.com. So, there you go, DirectActionTexas.com. And, and are there email alerts and things people can sign up for Absolutely. if they go there? And Yep, sign up at DirectActionTexas.com for our email blast. We, we do a lot of election updates and a few other things, but obviously election integrity is our focus there. And Daniel Greer is taking over as executive director, and he is rocking it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for coming by today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Luke. Well, yeah, what a conversation, you know? I mean, still, when you listen to it, it's, uh, it's first of all, I'm grateful for people like Aaron and other activists in Texas who have been willing to take their time and actually dig into these issues because without them, you know, we here in the trenches fighting day in, day out, either for organizations on the federal level, on the state level, with candidates, with campaigns. I mean, we want to know that our elections have integrity to them. And having people on the ground that you know are keeping a watchful eye is something that at least gives us the confidence to continue to apply ourselves on the campaign side. It's it's so hard to pick, uh, you know, because there are so many of those moments during the podcast where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. is that real? Yeah. And of course the answer is yes, but I'll tell you the, the biggest thing that I think probably surprised folks listening is to realize that so many of these things are not or have not been illegal. They have been yep. fines, they've been misdemeanors. And only yep. recently in last session here in Texas, did we start to actually make these criminal offenses and yep. we're not done yet. And yep. so as, as people are listening across the country, I mean, election fraud, voter fraud, these are um, kind of buzzwords. These are hot topics yep. right now. But before they started listening to this podcast, I would venture to say that most folks had no idea what the problem really looked like, what the yep. face of it was. And so now, uh, I see, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this are outside of Texas. Yep. And as you're doing that, call your state reps, your state Absolutely. senators, and see if this stuff is actually illegal in your state, because I bet it's not, or at least yep. not all of it. Yep. And I think you're right. I mean, just reaching out to some of your legislators saying, what are our current laws when it comes to ballot by mail? What are our current laws when it comes to, um, you know, the criminal penalty of somebody who's trying to, you know, coordinate a, a uh, election fraud, right? And I think it's so interesting when you go, hey, so the person at the door fraudulently voting, mm -hmm. in essence, is the person who's committing the crime, but anybody else is not. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just recently part of the RICO statute last session yep. here in Texas. Yep. And, you know, when you when you look at some of this and you start thinking about the the victims here, as well as the people perpetrating the crime, it's bizarre how behind the times we are. And two of those areas that are that are that we still have a lot of work to do here in Texas are one, uh, making sure that there's actually a review process for the elections and you can overturn it if you find that there was either clear stupidity and in, in poorly running elections like in, like uh, like you talked about or that if there's actual fraud, like with the Sal Spino case, that you can kick somebody out of office for it. Yep. And neither one of those is currently an option under Texas law. Yep, yep. No, huge issue. Like you said, if you're in another state, reach out to your state representative, have them listen to this podcast, look at the issues, and then take a look at what your actual state statutes. If you're in Texas, you should be really encouraged. We've got Stephanie Click, who mm -hmm. Raz and I both know very well as the chairman of the elections um, you know, committee in the House, and she's got members like Dustin Burroughs and Briscoe Kane and Mays Middleton, some phenomenal state representatives, all of them who want to address this issue. And Mike Lang, who's chairman of the Freedom Caucus, I know has filed legislation to address these issues. Senator Brian Hughes, Senator Bob Hall have both filed legislation. So there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful in Texas, but also know that 
good legislation is still very hard to pass, and we are under 100 days away from the end of session at this point. So reach out to your state representative, reach out to your state senator, tell them this is something we have to address. It's not okay if we're in June 1st and the legislative session has ended and we have not passed meaningful reforms that can give us confidence in our elections. When you're doing that, make sure that you're you're letting them know, first and foremost, that you support them, that this is something that matters to you and you appreciate the hard work they're doing on it, because they are. And then second, ask them, how can I help? What makes a difference as an activist? How can I help you? in this role. And I do want to give a plug to Direct Action Texas, which Aaron gave there in the show. I mean, go to their website, sign up to be in their email list. This organization is doing real work even still today. They're the ones who will keep you up to date on exactly what's happening this session regarding these election issues. So go to their website, sign up for their email list. I'm on their email list. I think Raz is too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Stay informed, stay engaged. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, guys. Um, Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Messias Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much, and God bless.